The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you ever question the important issues of today and try to find a sort of spiritual connection? Welcome to Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman as your host. Religion deals with the most fundamental issues humans face. There are arguments for and against the existence of God, where religion belongs in everyday life and a number of questions left unanswered. This is where it all gets discovered. Now, here is Father John Holloman. Good day to you folks out there. We've got a special treat for you today. I have a guest, Father George Rutler, who is a Catholic priest in the Archdiocese of New York. He and I go back a ways. We were both seminarians together at the Episcopal Seminary in New York, General Theological. And when we became, became Catholics, we both ended up in Rome together as graduate students. So he's about 11 books, and he's much in demand as a speaker. Um, he's going to be talking to us today about... Um, the place of the Catholic parish in the public square. George, are you there? I am. I think you understated things. When you said we knew each other for a while, it's exactly 51 years. Well, That's pretty time flies when you're enjoying yourself. Time <laughs> flies when you're enjoying yourself. Um, your parish is in a district of Manhattan known as the Hell's Kitchen. Yes. And so that's going to be a part of what we're going to be talking about today. Right. Um, beginning with the question of what is the purpose of a parish in the mission of the church as a whole? Well, you know, in the early days of the church, they were trying to figure out how to uh, classify various structures, and they just they drew on the way the Roman Empire had divided administrative areas, same thing with the offices. I mean, the the name uh, Episcopal for bishop comes from really a local, sort of a a local governor. And the word parish comes from a Greek word, which means, basically means a district. So, and and diocese as well. So a parish is a, a district within the diocese, and the diocese is a district within a larger church. And each um, each parish uh, represents the the uh, the bishop in that area. So then you have the a, a priest assigned to that parish. Uh, we call him a pastor now. These terms vary. A pastor means literally a shepherd, and he's responsible for the souls in that whole area where I am now. Uh, I mean, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Uh, Most of them, I suppose, aren't Catholic, but according to the law of the Church, they're all part of the parish. Uh, At least I have, in the sense that I have responsibility for their souls, which is a pretty daunting thing when you realize uh, (laughs) the great variety of people and the the size of, uh, of the area. But a parish basically is what you would call the local local church, and uh, the church universal, but then you have the dioceses, which are part of the universal church, and then a, each parish is part of the diocese, and it really goes right down to the family, because the church always teaches that the, uh, the um, Radical unit, the basic unit of the church is the family. In fact, it's called an ecclesiola. The family is called the little church. So it all starts in the family, and the parish uh, helps nurture families in the faith. Uh, and this includes everybody. I mean, whether they're you know, mothers and fathers of the children, or, or or single people, 
they, they all fall under that. I, I think the best way to uh, describe it is, is a family. And uh, in our uh, in our culture now, we've seen a very serious breakdown, in many ways, in many places, of the family. So the church functions uh, more than ever uh, uh, to fulfill the need uh, uh, of the family. I mean, there have been t- times in church history when. Uh, the whole political system broke down, like when the Roman Empire collapsed. So the church provided a certain political stability. There were times when uh, the barbarians invaded and learning fell into uh, decay. The church picked up the slack and, and preserved the, the, the learning. And uh, so I think now with the crisis in the family, the church is picking up the slack there. Um, certainly the family is um, in in uh, distress these days um, how can the church uh, pick up the slack there well first of all what you have a, a priest is called father a spiritual father he he provides is supposed to provide uh, a model for paternity of what a father should uh, be in accepting responsibilities for the nurturing of the young and protecting the young. And the priest is a spiritual father does that in a disinterested way. These are not his biological children, but he nurtures them uh, yeah, in the faith and also introduces uh, young people, number one, to um, other young people so they can support each other, grow in their faith, but also um, provides guidance for parents such as they, they exist. And when there are broken families, he helps heal them or uh, provides support through the parish. I would now, I, I'm here in New York City and it's estimated that upwards of 80% of all young people, uh, children and teenagers, uh, come from broken homes. Now, it's a radical change from the way things used to be, and it certainly signals something very bad for, for our culture. So the parish provides, is supposed to provide um, a certain psychological and social stability now, there are other agencies that do that, government agencies and uh, other institutions that, that do that in a, a secular social way. The difference is that in the parishes, with the parishes, that the parish also provides a vision of God and who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to be, why we exist. Uh, there's a tremendous um, ignorance about that in our culture. Not only ignorance, but a lot of misinformation, or we might say disinformation. And uh, uh, the parish is there to uh, correct that. Um, one of the things that uh, I hear about a lot about these days is that with the digital revolution, so many people spend so much time either at the computer or on their cell phones that people are learning to uh, become sort of monads. They don't relate to each other except by way of these devices. Um, right. Well, I, 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 I uh, plead guilty to that myself. I'm, I always thought of myself as computer illiterate, and I basically remain so. But I'm very dependent on the email. I don't know how I could run a parish without the email now. That's a, that's a gift. But like, uh, and, and we have access to all kinds of information. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, I often reflect on how long it took me to do one doctoral dissertation. And I, I could do a half a dozen in that time now with access to the, the convenience of the of the website. However, 
the danger is that you do have access to all kinds of information. So you have wrong information as well as real information. Now we have this new term, fake news. It's only because of our social media that we have fake news as uh, as well as uh, uh, real news. So just like in any spiritual activity, you have to exercise discernment, and that's that's why we turn to the church, uh, should turn to the church as a as a guide, and then uh, the right things to use, the right things to uh, to access. But I would say that you know the social media is morally neutral. It's just a question of what we do with it. We can do bad things or uh, or good things, but we have to turn to responsible people for. Uh, right direction on, on, on how to do that. Um, but there are a lot of people who do not, are not interested in what the church has to say. Right. Um, there's a tremendous amount of, if not indifference, um, even hostility. Well, um, they may not think they're interested, and, and uh, I, I suppose... The way we normally uh, think of, of interest in, in religion—that's that's the case. But everybody is drawn to God uh, because God is beauty, truth, and goodness. If anyone likes to, something beautiful, you know, whether it be art or people or anything, they're really looking uh, for God. Uh, when people resent being lied to, they're really looking for the truth. And when people feel dissatisfied or inadequate or or uh, disappointed or sad, they're really looking for goodness. So you put that triad together, and they're looking for God. It's the job of the church to let people know that, first of all, and then to let them know that there, there's an answer to uh, 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 to that. That's why, for instance, I think that um, as far as reaching people, I mean, you, you certainly can't hit them over the head with a Bible. I mean, here in New York City, you, are, you have people on the street, some of these uh, self-appointed evangelists and that shouting that the world's coming to an end, da da da, repent and be saved. I don't think that helps at all. In fact, it deters. Uh, uh, but if if the church can be a, a center, first of all, for beauty, that will draw the the attention of the of the. Uh, Seeker, um, and uh, of course, the church has been history's greatest patron of the arts. Uh, this is a treasure that the Catholic Church has, and uh, I, I think, unfortunately, in recent times, hasn't really um, exposed it enough. The liturgy is the highest form of beauty. The church is taught. I think it was the Second Vatican Council said that the mass is the music of is the music of heaven come to earth, and we have an obligation then to use all our talents to uh, uh, express that, to manifest that, and 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 to uh, to make it known. One thing is becoming increasingly. Um evident to me is the, the partisanship that's going on, not just in politics, but in um, mail that I get, people denouncing another group of people who have whatever it was that they disagree with. And the, the tone has become rather um, shrill. And how can we act as peacemakers in the midst of this heated um, disagreement, shall we say? Well, I think people become violent, uh, become violent when they uh, don't uh, believe in truth. Uh, power then takes precedence over 
truth. You know, there was a there was a speaker who left his manuscript in the on the platform, and uh, uh, he wrote, wrote in the margin, uh, "Weak point, shout." Well, there, <laughs> there there are a lot of weak points in our society, a lot of misunderstandings, a lot of demagoguery, and. That's why people shout. Um, they they don't want to engage in civilized debate, conversation, because they don't really think that there's an objective truth to be obtained. It's just my way over your way, my opinion over your way. The way to remedy that, of course, is to let people encounter uh, the truth. And that's, that's a very difficult thing, because it means that uh, you're combating uh, individual pride. People have to recognize that their opinion is not necessarily right. And, uh, but they don't even believe what is right. So you have to let them know this and explain to them and persuade them that there is such a thing as objective truth. And uh, how are you going to do that? I think maybe it all begins with uh, the uh, truth teller. He's not going to convince people uh, uh, simply by argument. The great Cardinal Newman said that no one, um, basically, he said, no one dies for a theory, for an argument, for a proposition. We die for what, what we love. So we have to love the Lord. The martyrs didn't die because of any particular commitment they had to... Thomas Aquinas or St. Augustine and all that is all part of the picture. But they died for the Lord, who they, they love. And so the, um, that's why the greatest evangelists are the saints, because they are embodiments of the truth. And you can't, uh, you can't deny that. Uh, people know, uh, know the real thing when they see it. Uh, but it also, as I said, requires humility recognizing that there's something bigger than than myself now you were you were talking before monads how people get so absorbed in, in computers and all that they pay no attention to the world around them i see that all the time i'm on 34th street here in manhattan one of the busiest streets in the city and you see people almost walking into the traffic as they're looking at their iPods or iPhones, that sort of thing. Uh, I saw a shocking picture recently of a group of uh, college students on a on a tour in Europe. They were going, they were in a uh, gondola, going along the Grand Canal in Venice. All they had one of the most beautiful views in the world, and they were all ignoring what was around them and looking at their iPhones. And that self-absorption is the the enemy of the truth. It's also the enemy of love. Because what is love? Going outside the self. But uh, if you just love yourself, you're never going to uh, uh, understand uh, 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 reality. And truth is reality. Um, how do you do? How do you persuade people that? As I said before, you know, it's only. I think the best way to explain the faith is through the saints. Um, because when you study the lives of the saints, you get spirit, you get spirituality, you get history, uh, you get culture, you get psychology, and that is very threatening to a mentality that's self-absorbed. Uh, the saints are the greatest people who ever lived. No question about it. But can you name one uh, school? one college, one university uh, that spends any time considering the saints. Uh, I, I, uh, I know a woman who's a professor of French in a large urban university. She's a convert to the faith. And uh, she knew that she would have difficulty from the administration giving a series on the lives of the saints in France. So she asked permission instead to give a course, uh, a feminist history 
politically correct. Well, she got the permission, but all because of all the if the, the, the women of France she talked about, from St. Clotilde on, right on through Joan of Arc, right up until the little uh, little flower, um, Bernadette of Lourdes, they were, they were all saints. And you know that she had standing room there. People had never en- uh, encountered these people before. So I think that's really where you have to begin. I also think um, it's important to realize that truth is not a proposition, but a person. And knowing someone like one of the saints, at least in my experience, um, these people have something about them that I don't have, and I know that I want it. Um, It's kind of an indefinable thing, but there's a quality about them that makes them attractive. If you thought you had it, you wouldn't have had it. Cause the saints never <laughs> think of themselves as saints. But I remember once Mother Teresa, Saint Teresa now of uh, Calcutta, she was here in New York and she was being interviewed and for a television thing. And she didn't like doing that, but she said she had to do it under obedience. And there was a cameraman who uh, really didn't like it, obviously wasn't very involved in religious matters, but he was very taken with her. And when she got done with the interview, he said, Mother Teresa, are you a saint? Well, I mean, the people that were embarrassed, because, I mean, that seemed like an awkward, rude question to ask. But she didn't say yes. On the other hand, she didn't say no. She simply said to him, are you a saint? And he said, well, how can I be a saint? I'm a cameraman. And she said, well, be a holy cameraman. And that's, uh, that's what we're talking about when we talk about the, uh, the way the Holy Spirit works. Uh, if, if, um, you know, if, if we think religion is exotic and that the saints are esoteric, we've, we miss the whole understanding. What is it? Saint Thomas Aquinas say that grace doesn't destroy nature but perfects it. Uh, he doesn't. Uh, the, um, God doesn't turn us in, into giants. He doesn't turn us uh, into inanimate objects. He makes us more human than than we were, and and that's. That's why the saints are so uh, compelling, because the more they grow in grace, the more unique they become. There are no two saints alike. Now, the more we move away from God, or the more we just get withdrawn into ourselves, then the more we become kind of socially homogenized. I mean, you read the gossip pages and all the people doing crazy things, it's hard to distinguish them one from another. But you never confuse one saint from another because uh, God has made them what he wants to be. Pope John Paul II said, become what you are. That sounds like a paradox. That sounds like a contradiction. But what he meant, I think what he meant was, you know, when we're conceived in our mother's womb, God has a plan for each of us. Biologically, we exist. But it's only when we let God's uh, power uh, work in our minds and our hearts that we realize we fulfill that uh, uh, that that plan that uh, that God uh, has for us. And now, I mean, you were talking about how do we bring people to our Lord? Well, you know, yesterday here, here in New York City at the Christie's Auction House. Uh, a painting by Leonardo da Vinci was sold for, I think it was $453 million. I mean, they can't, it's hard to calculate that much money. And it's a rather small painting, actually, but it's a painting of Christ. Uh, that painting, as for promotional purposes, was taken to various world capitals and then when it was displayed here for a couple of weeks people came in 
looking at it, and they had cameras set up, setting, uh, set up, uh, recording the looks on the people's faces as they were uh, looking at the image. And it was an image of Christ. Now, all right, people go there out of curiosity. They want to see something that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They want to see something that was painted by a famous artist. But the point is that that was Christ. Uh, and they were they were looking at that image, basically, uh, as the the artist had uh, imagined uh, a, a Christ to be, and that uh, you know it was only I think it was about fifty years ago somebody bought that painting uh, for something like forty dollars or eighty dollars, and and uh, it had been. Dirty and everything had to be cleaned up, but you know, as an example, how do we estimate the value of Christ for eighty dollars, half a billion dollars? I mean, Christ is Christ. I mean, he's beyond all uh, all value. But it's the same Christ who says to us, "You are of more value than many sparrows," and we know how much he values us because he died for us. And there again, when people are drawn to something that's beautiful, um, I think our Lord is is speaking uh, uh, through images, um, and that's what who is it said that? Oh, again, our friend Cardinal Newman, he had his on his uh, his his memorial in his cemetery uh, out of. Uh, shadows and imagination uh, into the truth. That when we encounter earthly manifestations of the divine beauty, we're just so really being sucked up into it. And um, the question is, though, who is this figure on the canvas? Well, at that point, we need to take a break. Uh, we have a three-minute break coming up. We'll be right back. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Who are you, really? Are you the person you want to be, or are you the person that others want you to be? Think about that. We don't always recognize our gifts and potential because we stick to old methods of being and do what others in our lives tell us. It's time to break through. Listen for Rediscovering the Magic of Being with Marja. Each program connects you back to whom you were meant to be every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. 
Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Tune into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. We're back on the air now. I'd like to move on to the next question. What is the specific nature of an inner-city parish? It's very hard to explain that to uh, people who are not in it. Um, I've frequently thought to myself, I'm speaking of now because New York City, but I think it's also true of other urban uh, areas. Everybody of every sort is, is gathered here. You get the best, the worst... And sometimes I think that, uh, you know, you can't survive in this city if you're totally sane. <laughs> you have to be willing, to, in, a, in a way, to go with, with the flow. I have a lot of visitors. That's one advantage of living in this city. I have a lot of visitors, a lot of tourists. And I, uh, and I have to keep reminding myself of what a shock the city can be. If they're unfamiliar with the pace of life, I'm always running along the street. You can always tell tourists because they're civilized and they just walk and they look at things. Uh, and then they stop when they see something of interest with no thought that there's anyone behind them. But you have all, every day, a crisis. On the other hand, I often tell people that you know, I don't read novels because one day in, in, this, in the life of the city is more interesting than... Uh, than uh, any uh, any novel. Now, my neighborhood is unique in that it, um, over oh, a long time, was very derelict, crime-ridden. I mean, it's popularly known as Hell's Kitchen, which gives you an indicate uh, indication that uh, you know this is not just a a uh, national park with every nice trees and things like that. It's, I mean, it's a very, very, always been a very challenging neighborhood. High crime, and uh, it continues to be so. I mean, the crime's gone down a lot, but the real problem now, drugs, that's, a, that's a, an epidemic, and it uh, permeates every kind of social rank, every kind of class. We have a lot of uh, government problems in the city now. There seems to be a lack of control, a lot of uh, a lack, a lack of discipline. Uh, on the other hand, the uh, this neighborhood is undergoing a remarkable development. It's the largest real estate development in the history of the country. In this, oh, I would say, about a ten-block radius. The development now is that there's a $20 billion building boom in my parish and around here, in the, basically in the parish, 16 skyscrapers going up. This is along the Hudson River. One is going to be taller than the Empire State Building. Uh, the one right next to the church is some 70 stories. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, two young fellows, one nineteen, one twenty, uh, 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 were killed in the construction. Another one in another building down the street. It's very dangerous work. In fact, the workers had me over and asked me to say a blessing, and I was so impressed. And there were about a hundred and fifty of these workers, all in their uniforms, hard hats, very devout uh, during the prayers we had for safety. Uh, so I mean, that shows that their souls alive, and they had a huge model, a little wood model of the whole area, and there, right in the middle, is our church. Very looked very small compared to all those skyscrapers, of course. But they appointed made a, a point of showing me that uh, that's really the church is is the heart of all this. So with all those challenges, there's a tremendous potential. 
well. I think one difficulty of living in the city is that precisely the fact that there are so many distractions. You have to just sort of quiet down. Uh, I could go out at 3 o'clock in the morning and there are pedestrians on the street. I mean, it's, it never it truly is a city that uh, that never sleeps. And every day we have confessions. This is a great help. I wish we had more. We have to bring back people back to the sacrament. But um, people do come in all day long. I just go to the church, and I just see people coming in. Some, you know, a lot of people with cameras just taking pictures. We have a nice church. It's not, you know, it's not Notre Dame Cathedral, but uh, I think they're just drawn to the fact that this is one oasis of serenity, of quiet, and we have statues of the saints, and it's very significant that they come in and they look around, they take pictures, and they remind me uh, of what I often uh, uh, what I often uh, uh, take for granted. Um, what do you think? Um, how can we take advantage of that? I guess you would call it um, curiosity uh, to turn well, it into something more substantial. First of all. We have to just be here. There's, uh, you know, there's always a temptation to say that uh, in a commercial area there's no potential for family life, uh, community, which is not true. Uh, we actually we're getting more and more residents. It, it's uh, in this area they expect within three or four years it will be about. 60 to 65,000 pedestrians every day right around the church. Uh, the, the port, well, first of all, just have to be there. What do they say about children? It's a great consolation to children to know that their parents is there. Those are latchkey children. They come home and there's no one there. Well, you know, it's a kind of uh, parable for our whole society. The church has to be home. Are uh, 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 for everyone, and then of course we have to. Um, as I said before, I think beauty is a prime evangelical tool. Fix things up. Let people see the splendor of the faith uh, through uh, through our arts, and um, with that attraction, well, then you begin to explain what. What beauty is? There's a classical definition of beauty is that uh, beauty is a thing conforming to its purpose. I think St. Augustine said this, uh, uh, an iron key is more beautiful than a gold key because gold is soft and the gold key would bend in the lock, but an iron key works the lock and therefore it's more beautiful than a gold key. And uh, when you have the truth of the faith, as our Lord has given it uh, uh, to us, things become more beautiful. Somebody asked a liturgist once, how do you make a church beautiful? And he said, well, fill it with people. You know, you could have the book, the finest marble and stained glass and everything. But if it's empty, it's just a museum. But you could also have a place that's very humble, but if it's filled with people, uh, or, or worshiping God, that you that you've introduced, introduced the unchurched to the beauty of God, which comes uh, uh, comes through the church. I remember being in a small country parish when 9-11 happened. And um, the community was basically Protestant. But uh, I was struck by the fact that a number of people who came into the, to our, our little church that day uh, to a need for prayer. Mm. Um, right. Well, there's a, there was a, you know, the uh, Spanish writer and philosopher Ortega de Gasas um, said that the temple is the place where people go to weep. And uh, there are different kinds of weeping. You know, people weep in sorrow. We're talking about September 11th. People also weep for joy. People cry at weddings and so on. Uh, but it is the place where the most heartfelt 
human experiences uh, find find a place for expression. I, I now I I was at the World Trade Center on on September 11, um, and uh, I mean I was surrounded by all these corpses, and it was the most shocking thing I'd ever seen in my life. I've never gone back down there. But for weeks and months after that, the churches were packed. And people, I think, of all different religions, or no religion, were coming in, trying to... If they couldn't pray, they would light candles. The churches were just flooded with candlelight. Uh, this is what I think advantage of shrines of that. Even if people are not trained in the art of prayer, which perfect really is a gift from God. We don't have to go to school to learn how to pray. But if they don't really know how to do it, at least light a candle to say that you know, there's, there's something outside myself that I that I want to uh, offer in solidarity with you know, with others who are sharing this this moment. Uh, and that was a very telling thing. The response of of, of people um, to that event. Of course, the city, New York City, has never been never been the same since, for good and ill. So, what would you say is unique about your parish? I would say, it was, but principally, as unique as its location, uh, right in the midst of this. Explosion of population and of construction that I, that I described. Now, my previous parish, I was 12 years in my previous parish, which was about a mile away from here. New Yorkers can tie themselves very easily. I, it, it's about from here, from where I am now to my former parish, uh, it's, about 19, it's about a 19-minute walk. New Yorkers are great walkers. Somewhere between 19, depending on the traffic, 19, 21 minutes. But that's a, a very different neighborhood. Park Avenue is very uh, very residential and uh, quite wealthy. And then I got moved uh, over to Hell's Kitchen. And that's quite a contrast. I think I, that's a good title for a book, From Park Avenue to Hell's Kitchen. But the fact is... <laughs> As I said, this this neighborhood now is just becoming, I mean, the, the hottest real estate in the city. Um, but I tell people, that, you know, it, over on Park Avenue, people are always the same. There's, every parish has certain personality types, A, B, C, D. Every parish, like any family, you get all different personalities, but you can always, they're all there. However, things used to work rather more sedate and quiet on Park Avenue. And moving from, from there to uh, here, Hell's Kitchen, is rather like a surgeon who used to do plastics, uh, uh, cosmetic surgery, and now he's moved to the emergency ward. <laughs> we get a lot of very serious pastoral problems, emotional, psychological crises, people in distress. I suppose it's a compliment to be a parish in an area where the church is so very, very much needed. And uh, this whole neighborhood would would be terribly bereft without the presence of, of the church. Now, right up the street from me, there's an Orthodox synagogue, and, and uh, um, the rabbi there is coming to see me in a couple days. Um, he sent me an email. He said he frequently passes the church here and uh, often wondered about it, thought about it, was wondering what goes here on here. And I said, well, the same thing about about his synagogue. <laughs> and uh, these are sort of Old Testament and New Testament uh, uh, commiserating. Now, of course, we have religious differences, but we do believe in God, the same God, and uh, without that that presence, I think people would just be sort of like animals in a zoo. 
sometimes, you know, could be very well-dressed, well-educated, but just animals in a zoo. I think Terry Savalovila said, if you don't pray during the day, you're, you're living like an animal. We do for another break here. Be back in a few minutes. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to live the life of inner peace that you deserve. Tune in every week for Sacred Exploration with host Lisa Tremont Oda. You can discover the you that has been kept hidden all this time. Show off your personal gifts to the world. Lisa and her guests will combine health and spirituality to bring you the experience that you've been waiting for. You'll enjoy this journey every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's sure to be a nourishing experience. It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Good day to you. Back. Um, George, I'm curious about, uh, with all of the um, stuff going on around us, um, where do we look for hope? Where do we look for sanity? Well, as I said before, living in the city, sometimes you have to be half insane to get on. Uh, we have to make a distinction between hope and optimism. Optimism is simply wishing that things are going to be fine. Hope is knowing that things are going to be right, as long as we co- cooperate uh, with God. But we cannot indulge wishful thinking. We have to be honest. We have to acknowledge what the problems are. Are and we cannot um, isolate ourselves uh, from them. All the problems we're facing now are the result of people just denying the truth, and that's true in the church as well. I mean, I read a shocking comment recently of some theologian who said that we can no longer expect that there is one solid uh, moral norm that governs everything. Well, I mean, the truth is truth. We can violate the truth, but we have to have, we have to accept uh, the existence of objective truth. And the great 
Pope Benedict XVI spoke of the dangers of uh, what he called the dictatorship of relativism. If everything is just relative, as we began the program saying, it's just my opinion over yours. And so rather than uh, resolving the truth, it's just a question of domination. My, my domination over, of my opinion, over, or over your opinion. Uh, but just as hope is not uh, optimism, uh, we, we, we must um, accept the fact that the truth you know, makes, uh, makes, uh, makes demands of us. Uh, so uh, we can't be Pollyannish. We can't say everything is going to get better. I mean, things can get a lot worse before they get they get better. But we always have to bear in mind that, you know, that, that there is truth, and it's the truth, very tosvos liberabi, truth sets you free. Once you believe the truth and, and follow the truth, you're free. Your your mind is free from uh, lies, and your will is free from uh, from uh, selfishness. I think there are good things going on, but more than we can expect, uh, or might have expected. I think I think we see some po- positive signs in our secular culture uh, today. We're seeing. Uh, I think an increased reverence for the dignity of life, for unborn life. Uh, we are cleaning the swamp from just bureaucracy. Now, how that all works out has to be remains to be seen. But I think we're in a better position now than maybe just a year or two ago. The great confusion in the church, and that's an immediate problem and a source of. Uh, of grave concern. But our Lord says, be of good cheer. Uh, I have overcome the world. Without an army? Well, well, with a spiritual army, the army of God. You know, when you say something is spiritual, people tend to think it's abstract, vague, and only half real. But spiritual combat is far more intense than uh, any kind of physical combat. Well, I would like to thank you for being with us today. Sharing your insights. Well, it's kind and, of the um, union. I, I am grateful for the opportunity. Well, hope springs eternal. In the human breast, to coin, to coin a phrase. Uh, I would like to th- thank all of you uh, listeners out there who've been with us today. Um, next week is giving, so there will be a rerun of last week's show. But um, I'll be back two weeks from today. I'll be uh, talking about religion and science. There seems to be a lot of, I think, um, misunderstandings around today about the incompatibility of religion and science, um, which is simply not true. Thank you for tuning in to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Please join Father John Holloman again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a very good week.